overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios, Batch Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Brought to you by OfficerPrivacy.com, the company's officers trust with their online privacy. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, the show where two retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch, and unfortunately, my esteemed colleague, the heart of the show, is off. He's off on a good reason. He's celebrating his birthday playing golf. Isn't that great, Robin? That is great. Lucky dog. Right? But we have a very special show for him. We have an election day special. Today, we'll hear from a subcontractor deputized as a fugitive finder who worked in the Lone Star State, appropriately, Texas. And he did this with the U.S. Marshal Service finding fugitives. Then in Cop Talk, we're going to, uh, Rob and I are going to discuss the violence preceding the following America's presidential election. How is this not terrorism? Uh, stopping our fundamental right, the right to vote, and peace. Interesting. And lastly, we'll have another CNN. It's newsworthy report. Oh. I know. Uh, and then we're going to go into a heroic headline and an inspirational close. So stay tuned, stay informed, and most of all, you're going to be entertained. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the, I remember moment. the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association in this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Well, welcome back. You're uh, in for a, indeed a really good show. But for, before we begin, I really do want to uh, give uh, Jason a very special happy birthday message. You ready, Robin? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jason. Happy birthday to you. We can't quit our day jobs, No, man. and that was impromptu. I, I, yeah. I feel so sorry for Rock and Robin. She now, had no idea that was going to happen. No, I'm not a singer, dude. I'm a radio guy. Yeah, I mean, I love how he's out um, enjoying himself. And, and also, kudos to his last show. I know, uh, yeah, right? He did a great job. However, I do have a little bone to pick. You do? I do. I do. Oh. I was listening to the show because, you know, I, I love listening to you guys and, and even when I'm not there. And uh, maybe it was the, um, you know, the painkillers. I don't know. But I heard you and Jason received a special gift from the, the <laughs> I'll call her, uh, co-host uh, who was trying to take my job, quite frankly. Um, you guys got a special present. 
What'd you get? Uh, We got a special roll of toilet paper. Yes, you did. And (laughs) you know I have digestive issues. You know that. You know I have irritable bowel syndrome. And I call it explosive bowel syndrome because it's more than irritable. It's downright explosive. If anyone deserved toilet paper, it's me. It's me. Yes, I know. Thank you. Thank you. You felt my pain with that. I did. Okay, so we're going to have to talk to uh, Susan. And we're going to have to say, hey, a little toilet paper for the other badge boy. Yeah. You might need a couple of rolls. I mean, we're experiencing a shortage now, apparently. So. Uh, all kidding aside, we have Should we a, tell them what it says on the toilet paper first? Uh, uh, yeah. You might want to tell them what it says. Well, you're going to have to hand me your copy there. Yes. Okay. Uh, it says Badge Boys. It's really cool. It really is. a really neat little... Uh, it's, it's cellophane for your protection. You're uh, hermetically sealed. Is that what that's called? Pretty for much, For your protection yeah. that way. Yeah, you won't get your shit on it. Um <laughs> And it says Badge Boys. It has the badge and it says, don't take shit. This is perfect for me and Jason because he won't take shit. And unfortunately, I have to take a lot of shit. <laughs> so it's perfect. It really is. It's a great gift. So all kidding aside. A little uh, TMI there, yeah, Darren, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> well, you know me. It's all about transparency. That's true. TMI transparency. Uh, we do have one other shout out I want to give. Obviously, the one for Jason was the most important important but you know what i don't know this is pretty important too we have a lot of listeners all across the world uh of course we have the irish angel herself in dublin oh, I ireland love her man she's cool but we also have a listener in scotland and how appropriate with the late great sean connery may oh, he rest my in peace. scottish oh, crush man yeah mm. you know shaking. that one hit hard uh, shaken not stirred yes <laughs> uh we have I, I had someone reach out to me uh leona and i'm probably mispronouncing her name in scotland it's probably something else but leona uh, s she is a wee bit of a linkedin rebel she says from tarlin scotland and she wanted a special shout out for her son a uh, eight-year-old boy by name of rory and Rory wants to be a police officer. So she wrote and said, hi, Darren, I really appreciate you reaching out um, with Rory. He would adore anything at all. He's obsessed and destined to be in the military or law enforcement. Uh, he cherishes everything. So anything you can think of. And she was basically talking about uh, badges. So we did that. But Aww. I thought, you know what? We're going to do a special shout out for Rory. And, and mom, you might have to fast forward through the first part of that because we did swear <laughs> a little bit. Not always a good thing. For point the kids. well taken. Point well taken. <laughs> yeah, have him take a bathroom break for that part. Yeah, well, uh, Jason's not here, so at least the F word wasn't. That's safe. right. I don't think we had a single F bomb. Not yet. So, so to, Show's still early. So yet. to you, Rory, uh, thank you for wanting to follow our footsteps in the Blue family, and you will always be welcome here with Badge Boys. Wow. Yeah. Okay, now for the show. Uh, again, this is a um, election day special, and we still don't know who the president is, and that's okay. Nope. That's okay, um, because I'm okay with that for now. Now we'll get into that into cop talk. We'll talk about that. But for the purposes of our next guest, uh, deputizing a posse is a common theme in westerns. If you think about it, like the Great High Noon or the science fiction classic Outland with the again the late great Sean Connery. Uh, these sheriffs or cops in need when faced with insurmountable odds would round up the townsfolk and deputize the whole lot of them to mount up and hunt down some gang of bank robbers. There's your badge. Badges? We don't need no stinking badges. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Blazing Saddles, great movie. Uh, again, these badges are 
to swearing in these subcontractors. Today, these deputized posses are, again, subcontractors who work with the military and law enforcement. They help apprehend fugitives. And our guest is one such law enforcement subcontractor extraordinaire, Charles Tagney. Uh, he worked with the Department of Public Safety, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Justice, Department of Defense, you name it. He was working with them 20, almost 28 years uh, with experienced criminal investigation, uh, fugitive apprehension with multiple Texas law enforcement agencies. That's why it's perfect, the Lone Star State, uh, serving uh, countless high-risk felony warrants. And he, this is an individual that had such a talent that he, he wasn't part of that um, crew. He was a subcontractor because he was so talented. He was an expert in martial arts, third-degree black belt uh, with uh, karate, taekwondo, kickboxing. This guy kicked butt. There's no other way around so it. So kind of a badass. He was a badass. Numerous letters of distinction with the U.S. Marshal Service in North Texas uh, from 1993 to 2006 for apprehension of multiple felony uh, fugitives that had eluded regular law enforcement. These are the worst of the worst that he would go after with the Marshal Service. So he's uh, a trash man. He really is. Right? He, he, yeah. he was taking out the trash. Uh, too many awards to list, really. But just in, succinctly, uh, he was uh, received awards for um, his apprehension of multiple felony capital murder suspects. Uh, again, there's so many, I can't go into them all. But consecutive years, from 1997 to 2000, three consecutive years, he was the highest ranking apprehension expert with the uh, fugitives assigned to the U.S. Marshals Service Northern District of Texas. And really, lastly, I do have to say that, um, and this will be a perfect segue to talk to him, he also received the U.S. Army's Commander's Award for Public Service for assistance provided in the support of the Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And again, as a subcontractor. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you Charles. Charles, thank you for being on our show. Thank you, sir. You're too kind. Oh, not at all. Not at all. In fact, we, we would have had to spend 30 minutes to talk about all your accolades because there are as many. And kudos to you, sir. But we all know that we don't do it for the, uh, the awards. And you did it for 28 years. I want to start back in the beginning of that period, uh, maybe before that period, if you will. Uh, how did you get involved in Desert Storm and Desert Shield? You know, you're being fairly, fairly, fairly brief, Darren. Uh, about 14, I pretty, had a pretty rough childhood. And I decided I would never be a victim again. And I made that promise. I wanted, I wanted to help people, wanted to do a good thing. So I ended up getting on with a contractor when I was about 18, 19 at General Dynamics here in Fort Worth. My grandmother had retired from there 47 years. My grandmother had retired from there. I went on to get on with uh, the, Department of, uh, the Department of the Army, uh, DODC, Department of Defense Contractor, in Desert Storm, with a rank second lieutenant. And, you know, uh, a lot of it was hard work, a lot of it was luck. And then when I got home, I decided to go through the police academy. In 93, I did that, completed that, graduated. I broke my leg, so I was reserved for about a year and a half. Worked South Dallas risk management, if you imagine that. That's when they paid with just the food stamps, you know, the park agreements. That's all that was in the register. No money. It was a, it was a rough, rough, it was, it was the hood. And uh, went on to just hook up with some really great guys in law enforcement. Let me ask you this. As far as those legends that you worked with, uh, where was that? I know you said North Texas. Can you be specific? Is there a, a, you know, a city that you worked in or a county? And how big was this squad? And what would you do on a daily basis? Well, I'm out of Fort Worth, Texas. So it would have been the Tarrant County Metro Future Squad at the time. is where I basically started up. And how that went down is there was a great guy, and I'll call him Sergeant Gary. 
I'll say that. He had been there for 29 years. He ran the East Side Fugitive Squad, but pretty much the sheriff at the time, David Williams, let him run this Fugitive Squad. He picked and chose who worked the squad. And it was about, they had three shifts, but we usually work with eight to 10 a shift. And depending on what we did for the county, we'd set up a band, run warrants, run them simultaneously, and we would literally work together sometimes eight, 10, 12 hours a day. When you say you ran warrants, tell the listeners, there's a lot of you know people that understand exactly what you mean as well as myself. But for those who don't, what do you mean when you ran warrants? When you talk about the, uh, you know, the door kicks, kind of talk about what you meant by that. Well, the Metro Fugitive Squad, they did not hunt Class C misdemeanors, traffic tickets. They hunted mainly your, your, your felony fugitives, and they hunted your uh, most wanted. I mean, they hunted, they hunted the worst of the worst. And we would usually start at times, say, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., stage, meaning set up, get our gear on, uh, focus on our, our objective for the morning, being the person we were after or the people we were after. And we would literally start up 3, 4 a.m. in the morning. And when I say hit doors, that's when we could work. That's when we use a RAM. You know, we didn't have to get special permission. We didn't bring a team. We went from door to door to door, and we hit them with rams. And we literally went from house to house to house. So we didn't go back and drop them at the agency. We had a van park that we loaded them up in. So we could pick up three, four, eight a day. Wow. Two, three o'clock. Wow. And three. I'm talking felons, murderers, bad that, guys. That's amazing in terms of the numbers. Uh, in an average month, how many of the worst of the worst would you and your crew pick up um, arrest? And uh, t- if you have a one story that you like to kind of share to kind of talk about the, the, the extreme dangerous nature of going into a place with the worst of the worst. You know, the worst of the worst to me was always the children that were involved. There were kids always in these houses. These kids were what they were all to me. A lot of not some of the worst of the worst to me. If that makes sense to you, it does. The murderers, predators, as you know, most of those people violate people that are weak. They violate people that they can take advantage of. So I'm not saying that I'm special or anything, but I'm obviously no coward. Most of these people are cowards. So when we say the worst of the worst, there were a few incidences. One day we had an 18 year old kid. He reached down to pull up his pants. We were being kind. He had a phone. He won't let him put on his pants. He reaches down. He pulls out a 380 out from inside of his jeans as he was pulling, and, and makes it grew on us that quick. Never saw it coming. Luckily, one of the guys grabbed his arm. We forced him down, put his hand into the concrete, and hooked him up. But, but, but there are so many stories. You know, we'd run on these dope houses. They'd see us coming with the cameras. And literally, we would set up. I'd drive, of course, my plane vehicle, Yukon, Tahoe, where I was driving. And I'd get up in the front and cover the back door, and they would hit the front. That was the key Gary taught us. You always want to cover that back door. So many agencies will run on the front. Well, these guys know you're coming. Some of them have ran for a year, two, three years. They know you're coming. It's just win. And they will get out on the back and heartbeat on you. And once they get on that ground, they've got these notches cutting these fences, meaning the chain link fences they go in and out of. They know their area. They know their, their turf. And once you get the foot chase on the ground, you have to be really careful. Because, you know, you really need to set perimeter because they can easily turn on you and fire. They can go around a corner and turn on you. It's really dangerous once they get on the ground. So we tried to keep them contained and control our environment. And, and he taught me so much in a year or two years that I wouldn't have learned 10 or 15 a mile. He was such a professional in some of the things. Watch their hands. If your eyes are a window to the soul, your hands are a window to intent. As long as you watch their hands, they can't hurt you. But you let them get around a sofa. You let them get around, right around a pillow. Sofa. And every time you have a gun or a knife, within two seconds, you have your throat cut, you'd be shot, 
it can get really, really bad really quick. And we have several of those incidents. You know, you've mentioned we a lot, which is really, really cool because it's teamwork. But but what's interesting. What's interesting about your profession is that you were the subcontractor of a team of, um, you know, they were on on the clock, if you will. And you, how would you get paid? How would that work? And you said you went on your own. Uh, How difficult was that in terms of being a subcontractor in a world of law enforcement where they're going to get the gold watch at the end of their career? They're going to get the 401k. Talk a little bit about that. You know, getting started, what's really hard about getting started is, you know, law enforcement and the Brotherhood, they were a very tight crew, especially the marshal service, guys like that, feds and marshal service. It is very seldom that a private individual gets in with them that's on their oath. I was lucky enough that I guess one of them at one point told me, he said, you know, you really have a gift at this. You're really good. You know how I'm going to do it. I told the guy, I said, I don't know if it's a gift of Sergeant Archer. I said, I don't know if it's a gift. It's more of a curse. I grew up in a very violent, very dysfunctional household. And I said, when I walk in that house, I see the kid hurt. I see the wife that's been abused. I see the alcoholic dad. I've seen it all. I've lived it all. I know how they feel. And, and I pick up on things. Like we read a house one day, and there were three sets of shoes. It was a size of, say, 12, six for the woman, and three for the kid or whatever. Well, the woman lied to us and said, no, he hadn't been here. Well, I looked, looked at the sergeant, and he looked at me, and I pointed to the shoes. Didn't say work, and I pointed to her, and I, I pointed at me, and I, and I said, you know, not saying it, I breathed it kind of like, is he here? And I pointed back towards the bedroom. She, yes. I said, well, if you're lying to us, I covered for her. I said, if you're lying to us, you're going to jail for Henry apprehension. At that point, three of the guys ran to that room. He was warned on, I think, an attempted murder warrant, and he was up hiding under a bed. But I pointed at those shoes, basically telling her, I know he's here. I didn't say anything, so I didn't want to light her up. But I pointed at those shoes and pointed at her, and I looked at her and mouthed to her, is he in this house? If you'd lie to us, I said out loud, we will put you in jail for Henry apprehension. Your kids will go to CPS. I'm not effing around with you. I don't know if it's censored or not. I use the F word a lot, but that's it. I'm not <laughs> effing with you, lady. It is what it is. Here she her eyes and she looked towards the room and she shook her head up and down. And, and that's how I tried to handle stuff. I don't want to lie to anybody up. I never abused people. I respected their domicile. Let's talk a little bit about you that, know? that mutual respect. And you're right. It, you know, there's no reason to come in a situation and just be insulting and, you know, condescending and, you know, and take the badge too seriously or, or maybe, you know, be badge heavy as it were. What I'd like to talk about in the closing minutes that we have, I'd like to talk about how this job has changed you for the good and for the bad. Because like I kind of alluded to, there's no gold, you know, watch at the end of your service you know there's no 401k this is you know you got paid to produce and can you talk a little bit about that brother you know you know i've always believed in you reap what you sow you plant a good crop you give you good yields i've never really wanted for anything i don't worry about anything i've always been really lucky in life and you know i believe you create a lot of your own luck my conscience is clear i've been good to people i really have the only person charles ever hurt is charles so when you talk about what I should get a watch or retirement or whatever, I didn't ever look at it like that. I wanted to help people. And I personally got something out of helping those people because I, like I said, I was a victim as a child. And, 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 and I got, it was kind of selfish. As I helped them, I was helping myself. I was getting paid double, brother. I was doing a good thing. And I knew that if we, I was putting these people in jail, we would save another person from being hurt and victimized. And emotionally, I have had pain that hurts. And then you have a lot of pain that, uh, that, uh, it's pain that, uh, that, that you, uh, you, you, never, you never get away from. And I'm hearing your pain. 
So when you talk about that pain of a career, and I can hear the pain in your voice, can you talk just in a minute that we have left, where you're at now, are you going through anything, how are you doing with that career of seeing so many difficult things that you saw? There's no doubt that, that I suffer PTSD, night terrors. Anybody that does this job and really works, as you know, in homicide, as you did, you're going to have these pains. You're going to have the pain that you endure and the pain that hurts. I have a lot of pain that I've endured. That pain that you endure, I don't think ever goes away. You learn to deal with it. And I take that pain, and that pain makes me stronger. It makes me work out still four days a week. It makes me still, I don't think I'm 50. I still think I'm 30. I take that pain and use it as a strength to where others let it run them down. I'm not laying down or being ran down for nothing. I mean, I've been through the worst of the blackest days as a child. There's nothing that fear defines as you as a child that you don't understand the fear of a parent hurting you, so on and so forth. Fear out in the streets has never really been, been a thing with me because as a child, I was so scared that that was real fear. So out here, this, this, this is just uh, this is work. This is going to work like, like you're at the grocery store. It's nothing to me. Once you get good at what you do and you have confidence and you have a good crew, a good team, that's what matters. You I love that. Hand. There cannot be a better way to end that with a good crew, a good team. That's all that matters. That is perfect words, Charles. I cannot thank you enough for being on our show. I can't thank you enough for a career helping law enforcement. Um, again, I think of the old sheriff, you know, having you raise your hand and deputizing you and, and just going out there and literally kicking butt, saving people and putting the bad people away. Charles, thank you, my friend. Yeah, can I say one thing? I, I want to thank my guys for the Marshal Service, Tarrant County, Hill County, all these officers, DPS that have helped me. If it wasn't for them, I couldn't have done what I did. And I have worked with some great people, some real heroes, and yourself, some real heroes, and they'll never be recognized. And, and I've been honored. I really have. So. Thank you, Charles. Well said. And again, it's all about teamwork. Thank you, brother. Hey, thank you, sir. Hey, y'all have a good day. And we'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment as long as, I as live. long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. What a wonderful interview. Yeah. Um, very humble. Uh, and I was surprised. I will tell you, I was surprised when, you know, a lot of law enforcement, a lot of cops, to include myself. I was a single father with a kid. I needed uh, security for my son. I needed a career. I needed a retirement. You know, and so I'm not looking for the gold watch, but, you know, that's more of a metaphor in terms of I'm looking for that retirement, which has I've done very well. I kind of you know, wish I had done that. I chose radio, <laughs> but, but I've seen you as a cop. I've seen you as a cop. I've seen enough of your movies. I've seen you as a cop and you were a kick. You're also a victim. I saw you as a headless victim in one of the oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I man. portrayed the, the real life mother of a serial killer. Yes, you did. Yeah. So you've been on both sides of the badge. 
(laughs) (laughs) Not so good sometimes. Uh, You know, this is a weird day. Again, we're talking about a special election day badge boys. And we don't even know who the president is. We don't even know who our center is, really. Uh, it's, It's a weird time. And what we saw leading into this was a lot of concern, understandable concern, that there would be rioting, looting, damage beyond belief as a I hate to use the word protest because every time I do I please trust me I'm using air quotes uh, but you would see these protesting of a election to me that's terrorism yeah it really is if you're trying to intimidate terrify over a constitutional right of a free election and try to intimidate people for that election how is that not terrorism that's what our veterans fought for. Thank you. They go to war to fight for the right for us to vote, to live in a free country and to vote. I mean, my God, I grew up in an era where women could vote. And before I was even born, women weren't allowed to vote. And that's, it's hard to believe how far we've come yeah. in such a, a relatively short amount of time. Because again, it's to create a more perfect union. Not that we are a perfect union, but to create a more perfect union, it is a living document to always, always be achieving that. Right. And so, for I, I, in fact, I was talking to someone the other day who um, was on the social media because I've got my book out, so I'm getting all these contacts. And wh- this young lady was talking about how she just hates what's going on in the world. And I said, I look at the, and she was an older lady, her father was in World War II. And I talked about the greatest generation. They gave their heart, their soul, they sacrificed. We have the ingrate generation today we have individuals that feel entitled they want to intimidate they want to voice their to me it's it's absolute terrorism and i go even further and i'm you know you know how people when they always compare something to hitler they've gone too far it's an animal too far right right yeah there's nothing you can compare to hitler but i'm seeing similarities between the BOM, again, I won't call it those three beautiful words because those are beautiful words. They've just hijacked those words and created a, from a Marxist-leaning training, self-admitted, two of the three architects of BOM ad, admitted openly that they were trained and seasoned Marxism. And when they produce this, this movement to try to force their agenda on other people through intimidation. You see recently, and I can read some uh, news accounts, as in fact, I'll read it while you kind of tell me what you think, Robin, but when they go into these restaurants and they're screaming at uh, admittedly white people, this Black Lives Movement, Antifa, when they go in, they scream and say, I want you to put your hand up and they want to make that power fist. And forcing them out of fear and intimidation. And they talk about, you know, no peace, no justice. Well, no, it, it's injustice based on your lack of peace. That's where the injustice is. Injustice is what you're doing. You're intimidating. You're being cruel. You're, you're looting. You're turning things on fire. You're threatening. I remember it in school looking at a horrible time in our history in the uh, late 20s, early 30s, when the Third Reich was getting a movement, you had these, these thugs with armbands coming down, intimidating the Jewish business district and hitting them, beating them, telling them to put their hand in the air and make that symbol. It may not be a fist. It was that open hand of the Heil Hitler. I'm sorry. I see 
parallels between the atrocity of that early movement, not down the road in Auschwitz and everything else, obviously. That's why I'm not comparing it to Hitler. I'm comparing it to the early era of that Third Reich, where they were pushing people, hurting people. I saw a a news article about a man who was uh, elderly, uh, had a disabled uh, sticker on his window, and they were screaming at him because he wanted to move his car to go from point A to point B, and they were commandeering a public street. Am I going too far with this? What do you think? Well, we're Americans, first and foremost. We have the right to exercise our free will. That's what the Founding Fathers put in the Constitution, and that's what our veterans have fought for. I come from an Air Force family. Um, my son was in the Air Force. My father was in the Air Force. And I know I've had other relatives in the, in the Army and other things, but they're trying to go against exercising our right to free will by demanding we do something. And that is not what America is all about. People fought for this country for us to have a free will. So why is someone holding people hostage, demanding that we put our fist in the air? And that's, you're not, you're taking away our right to exercise free will. If we say, no, we're not going to do that, but you're threatening me with my life, I'm sorry. I would rather die for the love of freedom and my country than to put my fist up for something I don't believe in. You know, and regardless who wins the presidency, whoever the president is, is going to have to deal with, sadly, an empowered BOM and Antifa. Uh, There's an article here. Antifa attempts to burn down Portland University apartments, promises, quote, good show tomorrow. And this was, again, on the eve of the election. Uh, Again, from Oregon, yet another night of violence in Portland on the eve of the election day. A march was initiated in Portland without proper permitting. That's not constitutional protesting. That's thuggery. Sorry, it is. Uh, And it's violent thuggery. Because even the protests, I hate how they keep calling it protests because they're spewing hatred. They're spewing ugliness. They are enticing a riot. So even what you call protest is enticement to riot. That's what they're doing. Um, The group damaged the Portland State University office. The office had already been boarded up on previous, you know, vandalization. And so that's from Portland. Um, And then you go into uh, what I think is interesting is Seattle because we keep talking about these two um, microcosms, really. You know, they, they kind of, that's the worst. So we need to, well, there's a lot of worse out there, but yeah. I'm just going to pick the two for now. Portland and Seattle, we see the most. Um, and you think about it, thanks to the defunding of this, of this blackmail that the BOM has done in Seattle and Portland, uh, but thanks to the, the funding, Seattle police may not have enough officers to handle any anticipated post-election anarchy. The movement to defund the Seattle Police Department, the loss of the remarkable police chief, which truly a remarkable chief, the best, and, and no pun intended, she was truly the best, um, and the occupation and protests that created Chop Shop, the burning down of the Seattle precinct, one of the, if not the oldest precinct, and we had a, a sergeant from Seattle on our show, and we had to pull that show, quite frankly, because she was getting a lot of um, feed. Um, negative feedback i'm not going to say who she was um to the point where she was going to lose her job and wow. so at bad boys we're all about the blue uh, our sisters and brothers and so we pulled the show um because we don't want her to lose her job we don't want that but she talked in detail about how that was this historic precinct that was burnt down so historic that it was part of another um housing complex and so if this mass of protesters again 
inciting rioters is what they are. That's not calm protests or maybe right? may have to agree with uh, uh, Jason. I like saying it because of the, uh, the, the, the stark contrast. But it does play to their narrative. It does. Well, yeah, it I mean, you, you it's don't, not a protest. You don't bring a baseball bat to a friendly protest. Thank you. And I Thank understand you. speaking out for your right. You have every right. That's what they fought for in this country was so that we did have the right to speak out against injustice. But you don't bring baseball bats and gigantic river rocks to a, a, a friendly protest. That is something that you're, in, you're infiltrating the actual peaceful protest to create the violence. And there's just, I don't understand that. I don't understand why you go in your own town and, and burn down stuff when you're the one that has to live there. And I will tell you what I believe it is. I believe it's an insidious orchestration uh, because it's, it's being effective right now based on what we're hearing. In other words, they've created the catalyst for mayhem, blackmailing city councils to defund the city council having zero backbone did defund and now and you know all of this is likely has the Seattle Police Department caught short in their ability to handle the upcoming protests this article continues nearly 120 officers have left the police force since the end of September Seattle now maintains only 1,200 officers that are deployable for contingency and remember this is a city that has crime in and of itself I mean it's a big city it's not it's a big city and so they have crime. They need police officers to patrol. There's no proactive patrol going on, period. They are responding to 911 calls. So many calls are going unanswered. Uh, again, this, this guest we had talked a lot about that in detail, and we will have that show. We're just going to wait till she retires, and then we'll talk and we'll get that show out because it is alarming what was happening. But when the city's population was 516,000, now the population has grown to 783,000. Not to mention the explosion of the surrounding suburban areas, increasing the number of citizens routinely inside the city limits. Um, the interim police chief, uh, Adrian Diaz, made a bold statement last week. Ready for this? Quote, you have to have close to about 1,400 um, officers to have a reasonable number, which puts us about 1,250 that are deployable. So you really need about 1,400 people to have reasonable staffing. We don't have reasonable staffing. Wow. Um, they don't have enough police officers to handle just the normal job. Hear this now. That because of the funding, because of what BOM did, they don't have enough police officers to do the normal job. And now BOM goes in and does more harm. And now they have, if you will, even more of a blackmail card to use against city council saying, we're not going to stop this because until you defund it completely, they are literally the architect of the defunding, we know that, but they're an architect of bad police work because the job is becoming so much more exponentially dangerous and there's not enough troops. And now having said all that, the whole thing about defunding is a crock of shit. And here's why it's a crock of shit. Because when you take away all the staffing and there's problems because they're rioting, right? They're doing the inciting and the riot, you know. Now you need police officers to work 12-hour shifts of overtime so the city is actually paying the officers more money because of their defunding it is such an insidious orchestrated um movement to completely take over a city and so it goes again to the point i'm trying to make about blackmailing intimidating threatening and we saw this 
um, in early Germany, where a group of thugs wanted to force a group of other people, and they also did stuff against the police. They also took over the police department. And what is BOM talking about, having their own police? I'm sorry, I'm seeing way too many parallels with that eerie era. With that era, now not to suggest this has anything to do with uh, anti-Semitism. I, I I don't know. You know, there is some anti-Semitism in that movement as far as the uh, three originators, but it's eerie how no one's kind of the the media is not talking about this, I, and I don't understand it. We're going to talk more about the media in our last segment. Um, but again, am, am I being a fear monger here? Am I going overboard on this? Please, you need to be the um and calm <laughs> me down because this is, to me, this is well past a bridge too yeah. far. Yeah, I think you're kind of tapping into something because we always look back on history and in our country, and it's not just our country, it's our world. History continually repeats itself unless we don't do something different. And instead of being in an uproar, you know, people are going out and causing damage and trying to enable the rest of us to believe in their stuff. We have that freedom to believe in what we choose. And I've always been in the mindset that I've never seen color. I've never seen race. I've never seen um, sexual orientation. I've always seen a human being. I've never seen people other than that because I don't recognize anything other than a human being, no matter who's standing before me. But I think we've lost sight of that. And history keeps repeating itself because we forget that, yeah, we know that we're not all alike, but yet we are to some degree. I just think that people have lost touch with what's really happening here, that it, it's, it scares the hell out of me because when I look at defunding the police, coming from the abusive background that I've come from, And knowing how a lot of these families now are stuck in an environment because they can't go anywhere, schools are closed, some of the people lost their jobs. Think about the children in these situations. Think about how many of these kids are stuck at home and the only time they could ever get out of the abusive environment and actually have a good meal is going to school, getting away from their parents, screaming at them, beating them up, making them do bad things. I mean, now I'm seeing news reports. The media is showing some of this, thank God, but we're seeing news reports of families going through this abusive cycle and these kids being killed because their parents are doing bad things. And without our police force, what the hell are we supposed to do? Sit back and watch these children be killed needlessly? I, I, it just really, I can't fathom the idea of not having a police officer come out after you call 911. I, I can't even understand how people don't get that. And if it weren't for police officers... I don't think I'd be here today because what do you do? What do you do when you're in that type of a situation and you've got nobody but 911? And what happens when you call 911 and there's not a police officer to come save you and your children? It's hard enough for a person in an abusive situation, speaking from my own perspective as a female, but I even know men who get abused. One in four men deal with physical and emotional abuse from their partner And I see it so, I mean, it's running rampant in our world that what if they don't have that resource? It's very difficult for anybody who's being abused to reach out and ask for help. And if it's all about defunding and all they're doing is responding to 911 calls, then you're literally have to be injured 
and the crime already occurred yeah. to getting police. That, yeah, the crime just, has already occurred. That's why you call nine one. It's now to the point of being an emergency, opposed to being able to call police and get some services. And they're defunding the police. Don't make no make no mistake about it. This is their way to cripple the police department, and to, to what end? And that's why I, I worry about the old Germany of the late twenties where no one said they were too afraid to say anything right. and they let the bullies take over the streets and then they corrupted the police departments and they took over the politics. I'm seeing parallels. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of people who are tired of it and they don't want to be afraid. I, I see a lot of women friends of mine training themselves with martial arts and firearms because they gun sales, gun sales skyrocketed. They don't know what to expect and they don't want to feel helpless. And I don't want to say that a civil war is on the horizon. Well, they want it. BOM wants it. Yeah. Antifa wants it. That's part of their rolling cry. They want that civil war. They want to take over with their agenda. And so my suggestion to all of you out there when you have a conversation with someone that is on the on, on maybe doesn't agree with your your philosophies, but they're a good person, they're just not seeing the force through the trees. Instead of yelling, instead of screaming, instead of getting upset with them, have that dialogue and be willing to listen. Because if you don't listen, they won't listen. And have that dialogue and kind of explain what's going on in a broader picture. We're not comparing it to Hitler. We're not comparing it to that Third Reich. But we are comparing the game plan of this this violent movement that is trying to cripple the government, cripple the police, intimidate the citizens to, uh, to reach their agenda through force and intimidation of force. That's what's happening and we need to reach out to the people on the other side of the aisle whatever that aisle is i think we all know it's it's the left you need to reach out to your friends your family and have a good conversation not a angry disruptive i'm not going to listen to you conversation but have a good conversation with them and just throw that out there um because bad things are going to happen if we don't unite against violent intimidating thugs in the street we need to be able to call the police and get a cop and we can't wait for this to get to a, a point where there is i hate to say it but it's basically a point where there's no return yeah um that's that's the fear a bridge too far yeah i would agree with you it is a scary time right now and i have friends that are very depressed right now because and i love all my friends i love People, and it doesn't matter who they're voting for. I've got friends on both sides of the aisle, and I never talk politics with them because I know that's a tough subject, and we all can agree to disagree. The thing is, is that we have to love one another, and this is a tough world to live in right now. Yeah, I think you're right. We need to avoid the, the political aspect of the dialogue, i.e. left, right, red, blue. We need to address the elf, the violent criminal element in the suburbs the human and, side yeah and and talk about the violence and and talk about there's bad things going on and we also need to maybe let the media know to start looking at what's really happening and stop because now the election is over maybe this is a good thing regardless of who the president is I, I i hate to say that but i mean that because maybe the media the mainstream media the agenda-driven media will now do their jobs and start reporting 
what's going on because we need to be on the same sheet of music to understand the truth out there. And I think that's a perfect way to kind of segue into our next segment, which we're going to have a um, CNN It's Newsworthy report. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. And again, this is an election day special. So our last segment will be tweaked a little bit. We're going to go into uh, what I like to call the CNN. It's newsworthy report uh, news you didn't see on CNN. We're going to go a little bit deeper into this uh, this fray as far as the media. Uh, we're going to include others in this topic. Uh, so now CNN is newsworthy. Tony Bobulinski, a Democrat, said that Democratic presidential nominee and former Vice President Joe Biden met him secretly several times about a China business venture worth tens of millions of dollars. From the very beginning that what he and his family were doing was wrong. That's why they hid it. That's not Russian disinformation. The Bidens have effectively admitted it was wrong. And in private, they've said it out loud. Now, we played some audio last night to show you this. We have more audio tonight. You're about to hear Rob Walker and James Gillier. Those are two of the Biden family's business partners on a call with Tony Bobulinski. They're discussing how very worried they are that this story, the one we're talking about now, would emerge into the press, that it would become public. And they wanted to figure out how to handle the fallout from that. This audio is very new. Here it is. I just think that uh, if it's, if if somebody comes out now and verifies the story, it, it it blows up big time. That's all. We've got this we've got this situation now where it's escalated again because somebody, well, allegedly one of us three, has qualified the uh, the story, and uh, already it's back on the front pages. It's almost touching how naive they are. Now, these are politically sophisticated people, of course. They serve the Biden family. They're Democrats. It goes without saying. But they're convinced in the call you just heard, and this was just taped not long ago, that if this story comes out, the media will verify it and it will blow up. In other words, even the Biden family's business partners, the Biden family itself, wasn't counting on the media to side with them to the extent they have, to bury all this damaging information. The information is obviously incriminating. They had no idea that every news network and every journalist in this country would actually suppress it, because that's never happened in America before. They thought they were going to be busted when it came out. Yep, you heard right. CNN refused to tell you the news about the Democratic presidential nominee having secret business ties with China. 
Tony Bobulinski provided several of his electronic devices to the FBI after going public with that information. You kind of heard uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox talking about this story. He's the only one who covered this story. Think about that for a second. This is huge. In a news conference, Tony Bobulinski stated that the Hunter Biden, the vice president's son, referred to his father as the big guy, end quote, in an email ranging for millions to be paid under the table to his father, the sitting vice president at the time. Now, the New York Post first broke the story in October, revealing that a laptop owned by Hunter Biden was seized by the FBI from a computer store due to containing evidence of this China business venture between Hunter and Tony Bobulinski. The New York Post tried posting the story on Twitter. However, the social media giant immediately suspended the New York Post Twitter account, suppressing the story, claiming the story was from an uncorroborated source. Not true. For the better part of a month, Twitter continues censoring the story, keeping the corroborated source, Tony Bobulinski's eyewitness account, and physical evidence from its followers until summoned by the U.S. Senate to explain their dubious actions, which resulted in their finally releasing a story on the New York Twitter's account. I blocked the distribution of the New York Times' story a few weeks ago that purported to be based on copies of President Trump's tax returns. We didn't find that a violation of our terms of service and this policy in particular because it was reporting about the material. It wasn't distributing the material. Okay, well, that's actually not true. That They posted what they purported to be original source materials, and federal law, federal statute makes it a crime, a federal felony, to distribute someone's tax returns against their knowledge. So that material was based on something that was distributed in violation of federal law, and yet Twitter gleefully allowed people to circulate that. But when the article was critical of Joe Biden, Twitter engaged in rampant uh, censorship and silencing. I love Ted Cruz. I really, I did not, you know, was a support of him during the uh, preliminaries, you know, uh, now it seems like a lifetime ago, but he is holding Twitter to the fire. And, uh, and, and I just love that little bit. Uh, CNN, again, along with the other agenda-driven news agencies, um, didn't cover this laptop story, nor did they cover Tony Bobulinski's subsequent news conference, nor the unprecedented way that Twitter and others were silencing of a major news story by a social media giant for fear it would adversely affect the Democratic presidential nominee. Uh, quite frankly, uh, any other adverse news related to the Democratic president's nominee was also um, omitted from the agenda-driven news. Now, I've always tried to stay out of politics. Me and Jason, our first thing that we talked about was staying out of politics. But we have a criminal act. It falls within Badge Boys perfectly. This was treason. This was money laundering, if true. And the fact that it's alleged with a corroborating, identifiable witness who's at the highest level of the knowledge, i.e. the inside man. He was a CEO of the company for uh, Hunter Biden. Now, the story finally broke, arguably for the first time, to half of America during the final presidential debate. This might have been the first time anybody on CNN had even heard about this when the Republican challenger, President Trump, confronted the Vice President Joe Biden about the story. Vice President Joe Biden didn't denounce the laptop story. No, he didn't. He only stated, quote, I have not taken a penny from any foreign source at any point in my life, which is 
in my opinion, as a detective, a cop for 30 years, a classic non-denial, since he actually took 500 million pennies from his son, who was funneling the money from China. Now, for those CNN viewers that aren't familiar with Tony Bobulinski, he is a Democrat. You heard me right. He is a Democrat. He's given to Democrat um, campaigns. He's a Navy veteran, a lieutenant in the Navy, a solid, celebrated career in the Navy. He is also a cooperating, hear this again, a cooperating FBI witness of a current investigation. And he's a prominent businessman and the CEO, again, of Hunter Biden's China business. And all this patriot wanted to do was to tell the truth about criminal corruption and treason at the second highest office of the land. But CNN didn't want you to know the story. So to CNN, who apparently doesn't understand the job of a news agency, let me help you. It means to stop being a political pundit, wittifully withholding news from the public in hopes of misleading and altering the presidential election for personal motives. In short, stop being a fake news piece of shit. And that is my CNN is newsworthy report. You know, I'm almost embarrassed sometimes to say I'm a member of the media. Because even though it's, I worked in radio and television, it's still being a member of the media. And I, ugh, yeah, I, I have a hard time even accepting that badge anymore because the journalism has gone. There, you know, we go, we go into college to learn how to, to do this sort of stuff, to write, to become a journalist. And for any of those folks that are working in the news media, did you not go to college and learn the difference between your opinion and telling the news? Because as a journalist, a real old school journalist, Walter Cronkite, man, that's the legend right there. All those guys back in the day, they were real journalists. They were real members of the media. And I'm, like I said, I'm embarrassed to have that media tag around my neck for the past 35 years because I actually left television after a short time because I could not put a microphone in front of a mother's face in South Phoenix and say, how does it feel to have your six-year-old shot in a drive-by shooting? I could not do that. As a parent to a two-year-old at the time, I was so young. Yeah, I wanted to be a TV reporter. But how is that? I understand you have to report the news, but how is that journalism putting a microphone in front of a mom's face and saying, well, how does it make you feel that your child was killed because of a drive-by shooting that was an accident? How the hell do you think she feels? As a journalist, I had to turn my back on it and say, I can't do this. And I chose other ways to utilize my journalism degree. But we don't live in a time of journalism anymore. We, there's very few newscasters that are journalists. They're just talking heads. I had a uh, crime scene. Uh, it was a homicide. And I was talking. And we get really close professionally, if you will, with the, uh, the news. You know, you know who they are. You know right. the ones you can trust. Uh, you know the ones that are just bad news. And this was a trusted one. This is one that I really enjoyed working around. We're talking, and all of a sudden a school bus came up towards this crime scene, and the kids came off. And she got all excited. She got her equipment, and then she looked at me, and she said, I'm so disgusted at myself. And then she ran to try to find out what the kids thought of a murder in their neighborhood. It's, 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 it's really ugly, and, and it is. And it's, it kind of reminds me, because we we've had shows about the Constitution and the yeah. beautiful First Amendment, you know, all these rights and these freedoms, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, all these things that are really relevant right now, but more, none, none more so than the uh, freedom of a press, because it's only a freedom afforded to someone with enough money to buy a press. And if their agenda 
is to affect an election, they can do it. And guess what? We may have seen it. So that is our CNN report. I know, I know. Wow. This was heavy. This was heavy. So I got to take us to, again, Jason does the inspirational. He does a heroic. You know, I'm good at taking us at bad places. You know, I can take us to the bowels. You know, <laughs> you I just can, did. Yeah, right. I can take us to you know, stupid suspects. You know, But I'm going to try to channel my inner Jason. And I got Aww. a pretty good uh, heroic headline and inspiration. Uh, do you remember a boy by the name of Bridger Walker? Does it ring a bell? A six-year-old little boy? Yeah, it should, because it's not just an unusual name, but what an unusual young man. His younger sister was being mauled by a dog, and he intervened. Uh, Bridger Walker is the boy who saved his younger sister from a vicious, vicious dog attack. He received over 90 stitches throughout his body, but he saved his three-year-old sister from certain death. And he told something, he told the statement that really just kind of gives me chills because it was from the heart, it was real, it, it wasn't, you know, to kind of play with the media. This is from, again, you know, this young boy. Uh, he said, if someone was going to die, it must be me. I'm the older brother. Talk about heroism from wow. such a young boy, six years old. Making that kind of statement. Not all heroes wear capes. And now he's gotten good accolades, and rightfully so. And from all people, Hollywood. I have to give kudos where kudos is. Hollywood has come out to talk about the boy. Uh, some good people in Hollywood have, have reached out to him and his family because he, he was horrifically um, maimed. Uh, his face has lots of scars, and uh, he'll have this, I call, a, um, uh, a medal of honor, a medal of, of Those courage. Those scars are, yeah. Truly. Uh, the World Boxing Council, of all the boxing and the entertaining sports, have done such ugliness to the world. The World Boxing Council, WPC, recognized him as a world heavyweight champion for a day. Uh -huh. It will remain in the official historical record for the w WBC. For one day, this young man, Bridger Walker, was the best fighter in the world. I love that story. I love what people rally around this family. I love this beautiful little boy. I just can't wait to see what he does with his life because this is, uh, yeah, I got chills. This How many is, stitches again? Oh, my God. Was Over like 90 stitches throughout his body. Wow. I'm, I'm handing you his picture. It is sad. It, the oh, scars on his face. Oh, beautiful little boy. And he is a beautiful little boy oh inside my. and out with these wow. scars because this is truly a medal to his bravery, his courage, and his, and his passion his little sister i wish my big brother would have been like that i wish all yeah big brothers would be like that yeah. and maybe that is the inspirational closing message if you're a big brother out there think about bridger walker and channel your bridger walker thank you so much uh robin this was a beautiful show uh i miss you jason i can't wait for you to come back and don't worry jason he made me cry twice so you're good <laughs> So, until next week, stay safe. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys.